What's up, peoples? This is Charmonique from Catch These Vibes Podcast, bringing you another 90s episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have been having a great season. I really appreciate everyone that has showed support, whether big or small. It means the world to me, and it definitely encourages me to keep going um and I really you know at the end of the day I really just enjoy podcasting and so it does it does get discouraging sometimes because you just want to know that people I think it's just the thing about like just the reassurance like just getting reassurance from people and that reassurance can come in different ways it can come by you know seeing that people are actually listening like that's the main thing obviously you don't want to be putting out episodes and, and it's like no one's listening to it but reassurance could be people listening people sharing it you know your posts showing love you know because all that definitely goes a long way so I want to just you know let everyone know I do appreciate every share every like every repost every retweet everything it means the world all right okay so if you listen to the last episode I did talk about how I was going to or I was supposed to be getting my wisdom teeth pulled or tooth pulled but that didn't happen so what happened was if y'all care um so I was supposed to get the have surgery on Monday morning. My appointment was scheduled for 7 a.m. 7 o'clock. Like, I was just, like, trying to get it out the way. And then I'll have the rest of the day to relax and, and heal and, and whatever. Cry if I need to cry because I'm in pain. I don't know. Who knows? I never got a wisdom tooth pull, so I really didn't know how I was going to be feeling. That's why I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to do an episode. So that's why I wanted to just warn y'all, but... It didn't happen, so that's why, for sure, that's why I sound like my normal self. So, if y'all was wondering, I didn't have the surgery. So, the morning I was about to walk out the door, I get a call, and it's them. They telling me, oh, the doctor had an emergency, and we're going to have to reschedule. This, it was literally 6.40 a.m., so 20 minutes before the appointment, and I got that call. So I was really irritated about that. But at the same time, I thought about it like, hmm, that definitely was for a reason. I guess it just wasn't meant to be. You know what I mean? So at this point, I mean, thankfully, I'm not in any pain or anything. Like, I do kind of have a little sensitivity in that area um, sometimes, but it's not like bothersome but it's obviously definitely something I do need to get taken care of eventually but honestly it's just kind of like whatever I'll get to it when I can so I ain't really been stressed about it at all really but I did want to let y'all know that I didn't have my surgery so everything's good I'm good but yeah so in this episode we're going to be talking about what's love got to do with it got to do with it um first of all rest in peace to tina turner 
she recently passed away. We did talk about it briefly. And I said that I definitely had to make this movie episode or the episode for this movie happen soon because this is a movie that I wanted to do that I already had written on my list, but I'm just like, we got to move it up because we have to, you know, pay homage to the queen, the rock and roll queen. I really used to love watching this movie, um, even though it's not, I mean, it's a good movie, you know, but it's, it's bittersweet to say that because the fact that it does go over so much of Tina Turner's trauma and how, and I watched her documentary and she talked about how, you know, creating this movie and also writing her autobiography, those, she did that to, in hopes that it would help people who are curious about her, her abuse and it would help like get it out of people's system of wanting to talk about it and ask her about it but I've but honestly it just did the opposite of that and it made people even more curious and people wanted to inquire about it even more so it is bittersweet to know that that she experienced that and that she it didn't really bring her comfort but she did say that it was kind of like a you know, knowing, uh, knowing, understanding, like, that's her story, that was her reality, and she just had to pretty much accept it, Um, but it also, at the same time, it just wasn't a good feeling to have to relive these experiences, and there are some things in the movie that are just really just dark, things that, you know, happen to her is, 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 very abusive, verbally abusive, physically abusive, everything, the things that she went through, um, Ike was very manipulative to her and she just she just went through a lot a lot of trauma even before she got with Ike like with her mother like she just never really I don't think she really had like that loving relationship she didn't really get that from her mom they didn't really have a close relationship and then when she she never really experienced that with a a man until she got a little bit older and then she she did get married she did marry a man eventually but you know before that she never really experienced that real genuine love and so that was some of the things that she talked about on her documentary which is on HBO I definitely recommend watching that all right so let's get into the movie what's love got to do with it this movie came out um, in 1993, so it was released on June 25th, 1993. It stars Angela Bassett, Lawrence Fishburne. Um, young anime is played by Raven Kelly. Her grandmother is, oh, is that? No, that's not her grandmother. That's the choir, choir mistress, Virginia Capers. Oh, okay. Where's her grandmother? Her grandmama. I don't know if it shows. Oh, here we go. Coralie Day, Grandma Georgiana. Her sister was played by Phyllis Yvonne. Her mother is played by Jennifer Lewis. Zelma Bullock. Frost. Shy McBride is Frost, who was um, Ike's 
band members, one of his band members. And then Vanessa Bell Calloway was Jackie, which was one of her friends. But I believe Jackie, I think I'm, I'm going to get into that. There's there's definitely a few did you know facts that I want to get into and a, and a few movie goofs that I want to get into as well. So those are basically just things that were in the movie that didn't really happen or that wasn't didn't really go the way that it was depicted in the movie in real life, basically. So I do want to go over those things as well. So this movie was directed by Brian Gibson. So he is a director, producer, and writer. He also worked on movies like Frida with Salma Hayek, The Poltergeist 2, and that came out in 1986, Still Crazy, The Juror. Those are a few of his works. And then the movie was written by uh, Kurt Loder. So he he helped Tina write the her Itina book, which I do want to read a sample of. And then the screenplay was writ- written by Kate Lanier. And she also wrote Mod Squad, the movie Glitter. She wrote Set It Off. Uh, which is one of the movies we went over, Crazy Sexy Cool, uh, Beauty Shop with Queen Latifah, love that movie, and a few others. So if you're not interested in hearing this part of the episode where I read the sample of her book, it's about 15, 16 minutes long, then just go ahead and skip ahead about 16 minutes and continue on with the episode. So since I mentioned it, let's just go ahead and just read this sample um, of Itina, my life story. So I just wanted to just see like what she, how she started her book. So the first uh, chapter is titled Nutbush. Nutbush. All right. So it says, it is a sun-dabbled late summer morning in Nutbush, Tennessee. Sometime in the early 40s, I meet a meandering breeze ruffles the poplars and pecan trees along State Highway 19, and the air is heavy with honeysuckle perfume. Fields of brown sorghum, soybeans, sweet corn, and blossoming cotton blanket, the gently rolling countryside, strawberries abound, the tree the peach trees thick with fruit. There is about the scene a feeling of deep rural repose. The occasional buzz of a hornet. The half-hearted peck of an odd stray hen scratching amid the clumps of Cowich begonia. Perhaps the soft flip and splash of a hooked perch in some nearby fern bank pond. Or a supper-bound catfish in one of the creeks. And now, out of the backwoods, the unhurried clop of a family field horse bearing five small brown children down Fork Deer Road toward its oblique juncture with the two-lane highway. Very descriptive. As their horse draws nearer the main thoroughfare, the kids can hear the intermittent clatter of cars and farm pickups motoring up and down number 19, headed either for the more substantial town of Ripley some six miles to the northwest 
up along the, that part of the Arkansas border formed by the Mississippi River, winding its way south from St. Louis down through the Delta to New Orleans, or for Brownsville, 15 miles to the south and east, or farther southwest, another 45 miles or so, Memphis. Few outlanders are likely to entertain Nutbush itself as a destination. It is a sparsely inhibited mile-long burp in the road. Its populace, maybe 50 families, tucked away like weevils in the surrounding pastures, groves, and hollows. Just one in a string of such faintly evident settlements scattered along Highway 19. Passing through, en route to Ripley, say, a motorist might notice the nutbush cotton gin where the annual crop is purged of its seed and prepared for baling. Or, across the highway, Gauze's general store, gas pump out front, dry goods, and diverse provisions within Farther along, the Edders Grove Elementary School, a two-room wooden building attended by the children of the area's black farm workers. Next on the right, a kind of candy shack come honky-tonk owned by Miss Algie Fuller, where by day kids buy crackers and soda and country bologna, and at night their elders crowd into the 16-foot square back room to nozzle beer and perhaps stomp around to the sounds of Mr. Bootsy Whitelaw, an an inerrant trombonist of local note. Finally, backed off a bit from number 19, there is a Woodlawn Baptist Church, a tidy stack of dignified red bricks adorned by crisp white wooden pillars, where on Sundays the elders stoke their spiritual resolve for another week of strenuous endeavor. And that for Nutbush is about it. An outhouse here, a pit dog pen there, not much. For the five kids on the horse, however, it is a capacious and comforting world. They are Joe Melvin Curry and his older sister, Margaret, their two first cousins, Aileen Bullock, who, like Margaret, is about age seven, and Aileen's sister, younger by nearly three years and tiny by any measure, Anna Mae, and the Bullock girl's older half-sister, Evelyn. Well before reaching the highway, they rein up the, at the drowsy intersection of Fork Deer and Tibbs Road, just behind the gin house, and slide off their snuffling horse in front of Elvis Stillman's clapboard grocery, where a cold bottle of Coke costs a nickel, and for a bit more, there's ice cream to be had as well. They're chattering absently, as small children will, but they politely defer to whatever adults are present, especially white ones. Relations among whites and blacks and the scattered intermarried Indians hereabouts are generally cordial, all things considered. But Tennessee, like the rest of the South, is officially segregated. Some black groups, such as the recently formed Congress of Racial Equality, CORE, up north in Chicago, have begun questioning this social arrangement with considerable animation and a new political tactic, the sit-in. But among rural blacks, an elaborate code of deferential behavior still obtains. In any case, the five kids don't linger long at Stillman's but as they clamber back on the horse and set a leisurely laughing course 
for their homes less than a mile away, they carry with them a happy sense of event, of having done something. Two of the smaller girls here wear their hair in a tight little plates thought proper for young black daughters, picketing twists that poke out like thorns on their gently bobbing heads. But the third, Anna May, safely away from parental purview, has un undone her mother's patient braid work and gathered her full reddish hair into a rough ponytail at the back, revealing an already exotic facial geography of elegant broad bones, richly sculpted lips, honey-toned skin, smooth as a breezeless sea, and eyes like tiny brown beacons. The woman who would one day be Tina Turner was born Anna Mae Bullock at the tail end of another age. By 1939, tensions in the world, long building, were yielding to turmoil. In September, when the Nazis abetted by the Soviets, Sam back Poland, England, and, the, and France finally declare war on the troublesome Huns. In Paris, a physicist named Frederick Pouliot Curie demonstrated for the first time the feasibility of a nuclear chain reaction. In the U.S., Albert Einstein pondered the possibility of an atomic bomb. Such events still seem safely remote to most Americans. However, the U.S. remained politically neutral amid the bad news from abroad. There were, after all, more everesting diversions. This was the year Garbo laughed in Ninochka, the year of Gone with the Wind and Gunjadin of Buck Rogers, the Wizard of Oz, and the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Pan American Airways inaugurated regular flights to London aboard a Dixie Clipper in New York. Edwin Armstrong, a Columbia University professor, discovered frequency modulation, a marvelously static-free broadcast medium, and built the first crude FM radio station. On the AM dial, Americans contented themselves with Kate Smith's God Bless America and hummed just as happily through Over the Rainbow or In the Mood. It was Glenn Miller's big year, or perhaps South of the Border, Border, South of the Border, the latest hit by Gene Autry, the yodeling cowboy of the silver screen. But 1939 was also the year of Cab Calloway's Jump and Jive, Coleman Hawkins' Luminous Body and Soul, and Charlie Barnett's Cherokee. Miles Dewey Davis Jr., son of the East St. Louis dentist, turned 13 in May and received the trumpet, his first from his dad, Charlie Parker, Kansas City sax star, moved to Manhattan in 1939, following a trial taken three years earlier by Count Basie's band with Lester Young in tow, and was soon part of an as-yet-unfocused musical ferment being stirred by such musicians as Dizzy Gillespie. Thelonious Monk, and the very young Bud Powell. And that summer, a young black Oklahoman man, Charlie Christian, popped up in the Benny Goodman sextet in New York, brandishing an unsettling instrument, an electronically amplified guitar. Ethel Waters, the star of Duke Ellington's steamy Cotton Club reviews, appeared in concert at the New York World's Fair, and also became the first Black woman to star in a Broadway drama, Mamba's Daughters, it was called. 
It was the year that Jane Bolin became the country's first black female judge that more than a thousand black voters defied Ku Klux Klan cross burnings to cast ballots in Miami, that Billie Holiday, the doomed jazz singer, recorded Strange Fruit, a blood chilling account of a black lynching in the South. And it was the year that Marian Anderson, the noted black contralto, denied the use of the Capitol's Constitution Hall by its white owners. The Daughters of the American Revolution sang instead on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial under the aegis of the Roosevelt administration. Before a shivering Easter Sunday audience of 75,000 cheering people, Anime Bullock was born on the morning of November 26, 1939 at Brownsville Haywood Memorial Hospital, a two-story municipal building whose basement was regulated to the tending of black patients. She was quickly transported back up Highway 19 to Nutbush home, a four-room shotgun house and counts amid the vast and bountiful Point Dexter accreage. Her father, Floyd Richard Bullock, was resident overseer on the Point Dexter farm, supervising harvests and hands for the property's white owners. A deacon of the Woodlawn Baptist Church, Richard, as everyone called him, was also, as everyone knew, a man in constant conflict with his wife, Zelma Bullock. Anime's mother was a black Indian of high spirits, anything but a homebody. She had been smoking cigarettes and shooting four fives since the age of 10 and was not, as Richard had come to be painfully aware, a woman to be trifled with. Richard and Zelma's fights, real wall rattlers were the dominant feature of the domestic landscape. There was one other child at home, little Aileen, almost three, and she greeted her new sister as an ally. Down the hill and across the fork deer road lived the Indian branch of the clan, Zelma's parents, Joseph and Georgiana Curry, Papa Joe, short and dark, a longtime Point Dexter, sharecropper was a warm-hearted child-loving church-going baptist though not a militant by any means and three-quarters navajo a distinction in tennessee land of the cherokee mama georgie a wizened squaw had the cherokee blood it was like her husband one quarter black the curries were happy people optimists always mama georgie in particular ambling about in her oversized shoes and tater demoloin farm duds, the very soul of toleration and acceptance seemed mystically connected to some higher natural order. It was said that she had been banished from her tribe for marrying below her station, but she loved Joseph and never looked back. Her people, the flags, were distinctively Indian in appearance. The women noted for their high cheekbones, angled eyes, and abundant hair worn long and straight. They still divined much from nature, the procession of the seasons and the starlit sprawl of the heavens. Although this had begun to fade even by Zelma's day, but the, for the young bullet girls, Mama Georgie rough and lovable and rooted in the earth would become a reminder of the other blood that flowed in their veins. Having raised seven children of her own, Mama Georgie now sheltered three of her semi semi-orphan spawn 
Evelyn Curry, born in 1935, was the issue of an unconsecrated teenage liaison between Zelma and one Jerome Beard. She was thus a half-sister of Anna Mae and Aileen, the eldest of the children. Evelyn would always seem cool, distracted, emotionally remote, but Mama Georgie's other wards, Margaret and Joe Melvin Curry, the children of Zelma, Uh, I lost my place. The children of Zelma's brother, Joe Sam, and his recently deceased wife, Odessa, were to become prized pals for their cousins, the Bullet Girls. Farther up Highway 19, hard by the church and spiritual worlds away, lived the Bible-brandishing branch of the family, Richard's parents, Alex and Roxana Bullet. Mama Roxana was a big, fine, church-centered woman of sober demeanor and harsh starchy virtues alex and unabashed unabashed seuss was the cross she bore through life with them lived uncle jill the only one of richard's many many what um okay i guess it stops right there i guess that's the end of it Cast of characters. Hmm. That's the end of the chapter. Well, that's the end of the sample. But then it goes to Tina Turner's greatest hits. And is there some pictures? picture of her when she was 15 a picture of her grandmother Roxanne high school picture of her around graduation picture of her sister her first love Harry Taylor her mother and then some pictures of Ike and Tina hmm That's cool. It's a lot of nice pictures in this book. Okay, well, so that just really just talked about where she grew up, gave a brief, really detailed description of like where she grew up in Nutbush, Tennessee, and then some of her family lineage explaining like who she lived with and who she grew up around, which is, you know, interesting to know. So Angela Bassett, she is one of my favorite actors, period. Like, I love her. She is just so talented and so, she just, her range is just so, like, so powerful. Like, what she is capable of doing, like, her skill, her talent, like, it's it's definitely an art form. And so I love her in this movie. This is probably one of the first movies that I remember, you know, watching, seeing her in, and then and just being amazed by her. Um, so she actually was nominated for an Oscar. Her and Lawrence Fishburne were both nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role for their roles in this movie. Um, I, I think Lawrence Fishburne as well, he did a wonderful job. He was actually really handsome in this movie as Ike Turner. 
Um, and so I think he, even though he he played such a an evil person, like just a terrible man, he still did an amazing job. So kudos to both of them. So just to like break down like the story, the storyline of the movie, the movie starts out with with Aname in church. She's singing at the choir. She ends up getting kicked out because she was doing a little bit too much than what the the choir director wanted of her uh because from then she she you could tell she from a child she loved to sing and she just was trying to give it her all you know what I'm saying she was trying to take the show away and the choir director was not trying to have that was really trying to tame her so she ended up kicking her out of um choir rehearsal and so she walks home as she's walking home she sees her mother get in the car along with her her older sister and leave so from there we see that her mom left her with her grandma which was very heartbreaking I'm pretty sure she felt very abandoned and wanted to know like why why didn't she want to take me with her you know what I mean why did she leave me and so she pretty much grew up with her grandma until she was about like 16 17 years old so the movie just skips to her being a little bit older to the point where she does go move with her mom and she goes to live with her mom who again is played by Jennifer Lewis once she moves with her mom her sister she works at the club well she's actually like a bartender and it's an actual club where Ike Turner he he performs with his band and so he he performs and one of the things that he would do is try to have someone in the audience in the crowd sing and everybody was terrible so when she her first time going there for anime's first time going there she sees it and she's like wow they all sound terrible like I sound better than all these people and so the next time she goes to the to the spot she's prepared like she she got on her sister's nice uh white suit and she's like I'm about to show them how it's done so she gets the the mic and she starts performing she saunters her way up to this to the stage and impresses everybody from that moment on, Ike Turner was like, oh, yeah, I got to get her. Like, I got to, she's my, she's what I need, like, to really, you know, make this, make this shit move. Because he was, Ike Turner, he was very talented. Like, he, his pen game was very proper. Like, he was a great songwriter, and he worked with several artists that, he helped out or he wrote for it but they eventually would you know move on to different and better things and then just he will just be left in the same spot so when he seen anime he was like okay she's young she's she's beautiful and she's got this powerful voice that i know i could do something with with my songwriting like we could make a really good team and so they started working together immediately and so he starts, you know, working with her, getting her to, you know, bring out her voice even more. And she um, 
starts performing with him. They um, start traveling, going on tour. Um, eventually, they start, I guess, form a, a, it, the friendship turns into more. So it's so crazy. Like, I don't know. There's some things that I was trying to find a video or something that like, because I, I always like, I did it with the Whitney Houston movie um that I watched uh recently that came out I think it was this year I want to dance with somebody so I like watching videos that like show what really happened what didn't happen that what happened in the movie that didn't happen in real life so there are a few things that I'm going to go over but it doesn't really touch on everything so I don't know but this is just based off of what happened in the movie so in the movie he had this baby mama it's not really clear if they were in a relationship still but I'm guessing they probably were because the same thing that he did to his baby moms he kind of did to Tina so he had after rehearsal he had Anna Mae stayed the night. He was like, oh, it's too late. I don't want you leaving this late. I'll call your mama, let her know that you good, that you're going to stay here. And so she's young. She's very easily to be manipulated and, and everything. So she's sleeping in one of the guest rooms. And his baby mama walks in with a gun. She's just like, you know, what are you doing here? Like, why are you here? You know what I'm saying? Obviously, she's just been through the... He put her through the ringer. Like, he's doing, you know, doing all this different, all these different things. And she obviously doesn't approve of it. Like, she's she knows what's going on. Like, she knows that he's moving on to anime. And that's why she's staying there. And so, she ends up, like, shooting herself or something. And so... um. Ike, he goes to the hospital with her. He comes home from the hospital, and he's all tore up about it. Like, he wasn't the cause of her having her mental health issues. Like, like he wasn't the one that caused all this damage to old girl. And so he starts doing this trauma bonding thing with Anna Mae. Like, this is where it really starts. Like, he's trying to you know, tell her, he's telling her like, oh, these, everybody leaves me and you know what I'm saying? Don't leave me. Like, don't do me how these other people have been doing me. Like, I need you. Like, I need you to stay here. Can't nobody make me, nobody, she don't make me feel like you and whoop, whoop, whoop. Cause anime, she's like, no, isn't that your wife? And he's just like, no, we, we ain't been good for a long time. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And so they end up sleeping together. And then from there, they, you know, are in a relationship. So the one thing that I do know, though, is that um, it doesn't go over in the movie. But at some point, Anime, she did have a baby with another man. But it doesn't talk about that in the movie. It doesn't go over that. It doesn't show that in the movie. Um, but I'll go into the more details of that in a minute. 
so yeah they start sleeping together she's you know obviously young and feels like she's in love and they got it's you know at this point it's going good because she's not really seeing the the bad side to him yet like she's just you know at this point been love bombed by him and everything just happened so fast and so they you know are touring and she ends up getting pregnant you know one of the crazy things is that um in the movie she she has the baby and then he didn't want to follow the doctor's orders and because he they have shows to to go you know make and perform at so he didn't want her to actually stay and heal at the doctor's office I mean at the hospital so what he did to kind of like make her more willing to go because she was just like no no I like don't don't I gotta stay don't I gotta stay like I'm tired like I'm worn out but he he proposed to her and so they go to Mexico they get married and we just see them, you know, continue to do performances and everything. And so they just can keep on having kids um, in the movie. I think it shows her pregnant another time. But in real life, she had a baby with another man. And then there was two kids that he had with old girl. And then they had one baby, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. So, I don't know. The movie is a bit not as accurate as it should be. I'm not sure why they just didn't do it exactly the way it happened. But, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, that's that happens with certain movies. They, they, The way that it's written is different than, you know, how it really happened in real life. So, um, a lot of crazy shit happens, man. It was just... It's just really a, just a real abusive relationship. Like there's, she, he was just working her like a dog. Like there was, she was, she had to be away from her kids. Like she didn't really get to bond with her kids. Um, like me, like immediately after having that baby, she was back performing. And there's one part in the movie where she's like telling him that she's, she's not feeling well like she's just tired she's exhausted and she's just like you know and this is at a point where she's still not like she hasn't really seen that complete bad side to him and so she was just like I'm sorry but I can't you know I just don't I can't do it I don't want to perform I'm tired I need to rest and she and he was like you damn right you sorry you the most sorriest motherfucker I ever seen and I'm just like wow like is it really that deep like you've been working her like a dog and she's telling you that she don't feel well her voice is all you know gone and you forcing her to perform still so that's the scene where she she she's on the stage and she has a tear you know falling from her eye and then he walks up and kisses her you know what i'm saying that toxic shit you know that ain't really it's just toxic it's toxic like he know he was wrong and she's just like at, still at the point where she's like, oh, this is love. Um, so yeah, that happens. And the in the movie, like as things like progress, as they get faint more famous, you could just tell that he was jealous of her. He became over 
overwhelmingly jealous of her. And because of that jealousy, he he took it out on her. He took it out on her and he just became just, she saw his, his real side and how abusive he really was. So there's a scene where um, she was having just a, a chill day with her friends in the pool and he's, you know, he was in the house working, I guess, trying to write and work on some music. And I think she she said something to him that he didn't like. And so that's the first, one of the first parts in the movie where we see him, you know, put his hands on her and, you know, and he's punching her and just beating up on her like really, really bad. And then we see um, how she her friends is, you know, trying to help her out and, you know, talk to her about it. And she's just like, you know he's he's going through a lot he has a lot of pressure on him so we're seeing how she's like still sticking up for him and making excuses for him and it's just sad because it really be like that like people be in abusive situations and they feel like it's they added that it's love or they feel like oh I offended him so I deserved it or I said I got smart so that's why it happened they blame themselves and so she's still at this point where she's blaming herself she's feeling like oh I deserved it I should have never said this I, I should never got smart with him and it's just so sad it is so it's extremely sad that you know this is something that women really go through so I'm going to go through some different facts and this also will like help with the storyline as far as like what was what really happened and what didn't really happen. Um, so Lawrence Fishburne, he actually turned down this role of Ike Turner five times. And I mean, I couldn't imagine why. I mean, it's it's kind of like one of those things like when you when a when an actor plays a certain person that people are going to hate it kind of will leave like a stain on that person's like career forever and I don't know I don't think that with me I don't think I don't think that really happened for for me with Lawrence Fishburne I think maybe because he's been in so many different movies you know and this one is just so been was so long ago that that I didn't I didn't really feel that way but I'm sure there was people that did feel that way for a long time. So yeah, he did hesitate. He was very hesitant about pick, you know, choosing to um, play Ike. But once he learned that Angela Bassett was going to, you know, play Tina, he had a change of heart. So, which I'm pretty sure is just like, you know, it's Angela Bassett. It's like, oh, finding out she finna be in it too. Oh, yeah, I definitely got to be a part of that. So Angela Bassett did, she did lip sing all of the songs in the movie as Tina Turner. Um, she, Tina Turner actually sang all the tracks herself, but Bassett, she was able to, obviously, she could act and she could dance. So that was a plus. Like she was, a, she all the performances, she did a wonderful job. Like she did, everything was very believable. So Angela Bassett recalls meeting Tina Turner for the first time so the singer could see her for herself and see who was going to be playing her. 
And so when Tina appeared, she walked up to Angela, looked her up and down and smiled and said out loud, she's perfect. And Angela, she really was perfect for the role. Like she did, you know, like their body structure and everything. Like it was her mannerism. She like she had everything down. Like she did a perfect job. So in an interview, Tina Turner stated that she wished the film had contained more truth. But the studio felt that the public would not believe everything that actually happened to her. So, you know, that's crazy, like, to think about. Because there there are some crazy things that happen, you know, like there's a part where he he sexually assaults her because he again, he was just, you know, being jealous. And he was also on that cocaine. So he was doing drugs and he was letting his ego get to him and so she was in in their home studio performing and she's just like I don't know he was just getting upset with her saying that she wasn't singing the song the way that he wanted her to and I think she said she made like remarks saying something like oh the song the songs sound the same or she said something like I'm just trying to help Ike and that ticked him off so he ends up you know, going inside the studio and he sexually assaults her. So that's like a really, like, that's a terrible scene, you know, for people to watch. And I'm pretty sure it was really hard for them to to do and act that out. But her saying that she was more truth and that people wouldn't, the studio felt like people wouldn't believe her. It's just like, well, damn, what, what other shit that this nigga do to her? Because I thought I thought that was like the worst of it, you know what I mean? But there was other things that he did apparently that didn't make it in the movie. So I thought it was really interesting though to find out that Loris Fish Florence Fishburne was actually singing Ike Turner's parts. Like he he acts he's actually good. Like he can really sing, and he did a really good job singing um, his parts on this movie. So Lawrence Fishburne did claim that following his performance in this film, it took years for a black woman to stop giving him that evil eye. So it definitely had that impact on a lot of women, especially black women. Like, uh uh-huh. Like, you play that role a little too good for me. And that happens. Like, it happens. Sometimes people actors, they have that one role where it's like, "Uh uh-uh, you was you was too convincing. So in the film, Ike is the father of Tina's first child, Craig. But in real life, Tina dated Raymond Hill, who was a saxophone player for the Kings of Rhythm before she met Ike. So Hill was Craig's biological father. Ike adopted Craig when he he and Tina got married. Um, The movie also portrays Ike Jr. and Michael as the oldest of the four boys. But in real life, Craig was the oldest followed by Ike Jr. and Michael. So Ike Jr. and Michael were the children of Lorraine Taylor, who was his baby mama before he got with um, anime. So Ronnie Turner is the biological child of Ike and Tina. So for whatever reason, they didn't do it like that in the movie, but that's how, you know, in real life, that's how it went down. So supposedly, um, Halle Berry and Whitney Houston were in the running to for the role of Tina Turner. 
And honestly, I don't feel like Halle Berry would have. I mean, she probably. I'm not, not going to say she would have did terrible or bad, but I just don't really see it for her being Tina Turner. I don't know. I just she did good as Dorothy Dandridge, but yeah, I don't see her doing Tina Turner. Um, Whitney Houston, on the hand, other hand, mm, mm, when I, I just feel like most of the time when people get the role, it's because they definitely were meant to get it. So Vanessa Bell Calloway, who plays her uh, Tina's friend Jackie, um, she was the friend in the movie who ended up sharing Buddhism with Tina. She was wary of chanting the Buddhist words because of her strong Christian faith. But director Brian Gibson allowed her to mouth the words silently during the taping and added the words with the voice double in the post-production. So Jackie is one of the ladies who were also a part of their band. Like she was, they were, there was three, you know, background singers, background dancers. And so she was one of them. And so there's a scene where they're all at a restaurant and Ike is trying to force Tina to eat, eat some cake. And so he puts the cake all in her face and Jackie, she was just trying to stick up for her. Like, Ike, you don't got to do that. And he ends up slapping her. And so she's like, nigga, you got one, got one time to hit me. And so after that, she was done. Like she left the band. She was no longer around. And then she ends up coming back around to visit Tina after she committed suicide. And then that's when she eventually introduces Tina to Buddhism. And that's when they, you know, we hear her do the nam yo ren ren nam yo ho ren That whole part is because she introduced her to that. So the scenes depicting Dallas, Texas were based on Tina Turner's real life domestic violence fight where Ike Turner and Tina were scheduled to perform at the Dallas Statler Hilton in July 1976. This was depicted in Tina's autobiography in graphic detail, including her walking to the Ramada Inn Plaza Hotel across the way. The reference to her having 36 cents and a mobile credit card was real. So that part of the movie was completely true. That really happened, which is just one of those scenes where you're just like, like, I don't, I was just, I'm just so proud of her in that moment. Like when she just finally starts to fight back, like at that point, she is just fed the fuck up, like on their, on their plane ride to their destination. She was just like, you know, not really fucking with him. Like she didn't want him laying on her shoulder, trying to, he, she, be comfortable and laying on her trying to go to sleep like she just was like she was just over it she was over him and all his bullshit and so once they got into their limousine she just wasn't putting up with any of his shit anymore and so she started fighting back they go to the hotel and he like wake me up you know before sound check or whatever and so she used that opportunity to run away and get away from him. And thank God that she did that. You know what I'm saying? Because if not, she probably would have been stuck with him for another 20 years or whatever. Um, so at that point, she got away and she was free for him from him. 
so that Los Angeles house that is used in the movie is their actual house or was their actual house. The everything was original from the furniture and the decor, and it was actually, you know, owned by Ike and Tina Turner. So the owner purchased it from them in May 1977 for 115000 On September 8th, 2016, the owner listed it for sale within the asking price of 999000 At listing, it had the two white sofas, the round bed, and the fountain that was in the movie. Unfortunately, the rest of the house has been drastically renovated. So the house is, was actually nice. And uh, what my favorite part about the house was that studio. Um, I don't really, I mean, I, th- I guess it was perfect for them and what, because they would have like people over while they would be in, doing studio, making music and stuff. But I will, I kind of wouldn't want my studio out, all out in the open like that. But other than that, it was a really nice house. So I thought it was interesting to find out that Jennifer Lewis, who is actually, um, Tina Turner's mother in the movie she did audition to play Tina Turner um which I that that would have been interesting to see um she's actually only one year older than Angela Bassett which is crazy because Angela Bassett when she's playing you know younger anime she looks so young but I mean obviously um not to say Jennifer Lewis look old, but she did look like she could actually, you know, be her mother um, at that point in her life in the movie. So um, Angela Bassett, there was a scene in the movie where they where they first have that that spousal the, the spousal abuse when he first show, you know is punching on her and stuff. She actually ended up getting injured from that scene um, because she fell back on her on her hand the wrong way um she thought that it would help like reduce like the impact from the fall but it actually ended up um causing her to suffer from a hairline fracture um so it's interesting to see like when i read about these facts there are oftentimes people do actually get injured like from I was just talking about that in the Matrix movie. Uh, the lady, I can't think of her name right now, but the lady that played Trinity, she got injured um, in that movie. The character Jackie was created solely for the movie. She is not mentioned at all in the book, Itina, on which the movie is based. So that's another one of those things where it's like, that's not something that happened in real life. But... I think it's necessary for when it comes to making movies because you have to have something something or someone that kind of helps the story. And I think Jackie definitely was that character that helped the story. She just was that friend that um, Tina needed to help encourage her. She was that friend that Tina was able to turn to um, during her times of need, of needing someone to talk to, needing someone to encourage her, to help her um, see her worth and, you know, leave Ike. So, I mean, it would have been nice to see if if she had someone like that really in her life. I mean, I guess maybe it's possible maybe she she does talk about that in her book. But um, I don't know because 
her sister, Aileen, we don't really see much of her in the movie after a certain point. Like, the last time that they bring her up is, like, once she has the baby. And then Ike is like, your sister, Aileen, she's downstairs. She gonna watch the baby. But, like, after that, we don't really see her. We don't really see, you know, their their relationship dynamic as they they, you know, get older. So I'm curious if if that's really how their relationship turned out. But, you know, in 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 Tina Turner's documentary, she doesn't mention her sister either. So I don't know, maybe. I mean, you think that if if they had like a loving relationship that they would she would be brought up, especially in like her documentary where she's talking about her life. But she didn't really talk about her sister. So maybe they grew apart at some point. And they, you know, I don't know. That's just me assuming. So in March 2016, an interview on The Talk, Angela Bassett remarked about how Tina Turner purchased the white shirt used in the I Might Have Been Queen television performance and that Tina let her use one of her own costumes, which is the black with red fringe dress worn in the Disco Inferno Fairmount Hotel performance. So that was one thing that I that I really do like about the movie is her costumes, like her her clothes. There was there are some different outfits that were just so nice and beautiful. And Angela Bassett, for you know, definitely she just looked good. And I mean, Angela, she had a you know like a beautiful body, but her the outfits definitely complimented her, and um, I think. There are a few scenes where I'm just like I I want that shirt, like and I think it's the 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 one the scene where with the white shirt, um when she's on that television performance that they mentioned, um in this quote right here, um I really do love that shirt and there's a few different dresses that I'm like that would be super cute to wear like to like a a 70s party or something like that to dress up like there's a lot of different outfits that I really love. Um, so in Ike's, in Ike Turner's autobiography, so he, so Tina did one, he said he had to do one too to tell his side of the story. And it was called Taking Back My Name. He said that the scene where he beats and rapes Tina in their home studio and the scene where he confronts her backstage with the handgun never happened. So according to him, those things never happened. But, um, yeah, so Tina Turner has said publicly that she's never actually seen this movie and says most of which is depicted did not happen as well. So, I mean, she also said there were some things that didn't happen, but, um, and that's why I was like, I want to know like exactly, but I guess the only way I could know that is if I read her book. So I might just purchase her book. I try to get it because I'm, I'm at a part point in my life where I like to purchase books off of the books app on if you have an iPhone you know what I'm talking about I like just getting books from off of there but but I couldn't find it so that's why I had to search for it and I see it's on Amazon so I might just buy it off of Amazon because I really I think those are like my favorite types of books biographies autobiography books um, because it's just so interesting to learn and learn about someone's story and their history. 
So this is actually the second film ever um, to receive Oscar nominations for Best Actor and Best Actress, in which both leads are of African descent. The first film to achieve this feat was Sounder in 1972, which was 21 years prior, and it would have occurred again until, well, it didn't occur again until Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which was, which happened in 2020. So actually, it wasn't ever because it happened again in 2020. So 27 years later, after Angela and Lawrence Fishburne were both nominated in the Best Actor, Act, Best Actress category. It happened again. And I, I, I believe that was for Viola Davis and for Chadwick Boseman, if I'm not mistaken, which which is pretty crazy because there's been, you know, I think there's been there's been some contenders that for that to happen again. I mean, we have a lot of great African American actors. You know, there's a lot of movies where a woman and man, you know, could have been nominated. But um, you know how that goes. So to get into some goofs in the movie, um, they're in the scene dated 1968. I can Tina open for the Rolling Stones during Proud Mary. The Stones didn't do any concerts in 1968. I can Tina open for them in 1969. Credence Clearwater Revival's original version was released in 1970. So a theater marquee announces a 1960 show starring Otis Redding. Martha and the Vandellas, Ike and Tina Turner. The Vandellas were known as the Delphi's until 1962. Otis Redding became a solo act the same year. So when Ike and Tina were in the dressing room of the Apollo in 1960, Ike is drinking from a blue and white paper coffee cup with the famous Greek design. That design was introduced in 1963 by the Sherry Cup Company. So it says that Ike Turner did not sneak Tina Turner out of the hospital to elope after she gave birth. In real life, they married in 1962, two years after the birth of their son, Ronnie. So in the film, it depicts Tina's suicide attempt in 1974. In reality, her suicide attempt actually happened in 1968. Ike gives Zelma a $100 bill. That was printed in the 1990s. (laughs) Oh, wow. They was like definitely some years off on that. In the movie, Tina Turner's firstborn, Craig is depicted as Ike Turner's biological son. But in real life, Tina had her first child at 18 years old with Raymond Hill, who was a saxophonist in Ike's band. Before before performing What's Love Got to Do With It at the Ritz in 1983, the MC announces that it was her first appearance. Tina actually made her first appearance at the Ritz Theater in 1981 before the recording of her song What's Love Got to Do With It, which was released in 1984. When Ike and Tina are fighting at the pool, Ike's lips don't move as he, sh- <laughs> as he shouts at her. In real life, Ike didn't call her anime, as it is depicted in the film. 
he called her Anne. Even after she received the stage name Tina Turner, family and friends called her Anne. So at the Ritz Theater, Ike threatens Tina with the handgun in the dressing room. But in reality, Ike never threatens Tina with the handgun. Tina claimed Ike tried to send people to kill her and her associates after she left him. So that's definitely one of the one of the parts in the movie where it was put in the movie for like that effect. Like and it 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 did that, I think, for me, because in the movie, she's about to perform. He ends up going to her dressing room. He shows her a gun to intimidate her, make her feel like he's gonna do something to her. And she's just like, What you gonna do? Shoot me. And you know, basically like nigga. I'm not scared of you anymore. Uh, you're not going to do shit. She walks away gracefully and performs. And so it just shows him looking real stupid and ashamed. Um, but like I said, it didn't. that didn't really happen in real life. And you know, the thing that I, I was thinking about is like, thank God, you know, because things could have really went all the way left. Like we hear all the time about you know, exes who, um, who kill, who kill their, their, um, their wives or husbands, whomever. We hear about that stuff happening all the time. And so it could have very possibly went that way for, for Tina. Like, well, you know, she did say that, you know, people, he did send for people to try to kill her. You know what I mean? So it's just like, thank God, like that didn't actually happen. And she was able to live out her life until she was 88 years old. She was able to, you know, break free from him, continue on with her career, doing what she wanted to do, how she wanted to do it. So it's just like, I'm really happy that she was, she got the opportunity to get away and just live her life the way that she saw fit because he was just so controlling and he wanted everything done his way and so like I said things could have went drastically different you know some women don't get the opportunity to get away from these abusive situations because the person don't want them to live without them they don't want to see them happy without them and they end up you know killing them for selfish reasons so I, I'm happy that she was able to get away and live her life and do what she wanted to do. Um, I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, obviously, we don't want to hear about anyone passing away, but with just looking on the, at the brighter side of things, I'm you know happy she definitely got to just live out the rest of her life until you know she was you know it was time for her, for God to call her home. And it didn't go the way Ike wanted it to go. Like, he didn't control her fate is basically what I'm trying to get at. So, Anna Mae learns of her name change to Tina Turner after the song is played on a radio in the hospital where she had given birth. But in reality, Tina saw a vinyl copy of the song that showcased the name of Ike and Tina Turner. So, basically... Before Ike uh, changed her name to Tina Turner, she didn't know nothing about it. There was no conversation. There was, like, nothing. He just, you know, took it upon himself 
to name them Ike and Tina Turner. So in the movie, when she's in the hospital after giving birth, the radio announces them and she's like, who's that? But in real life, it went a different way. So the film depicts that Tina walked away from the divorce with only her stage name. This is in fact true. And she also walked away with two Jaguar cars, furs, and jewelry. She also retained songwriter royalties from songs she had written and also took responsibility for missed concert dates as well as an IRS lien. Dang. She did get a little bit of that, the negative things that came along with her keeping that name because they, since they, they missed dates. Because in the movie, he, once she gets away from him and starts her career and starts, you know, doing her own thing, there's a scene where he meets her outside of her rehearsal and is like, you know, asking her to talk to him or whatever. And so he starts, she allows him to talk to her and he starts telling her that, oh, I got this, you know, some music I've been working on. Like, we gotta, I want us to start working together. Like, you know, them people, they not gonna buy your music, but with us, you know what I'm saying? We can we can uh, make something shake or whatever. Basically, just telling her she ain't going to be shit without him and that she'll be better off fucking with him again. And at that point, he just was like in trouble because of the uh, the the label. He owed them some money and different like things like that that he expressed. And so I guess in real life, she got she caught the back end of that also with the the IRS lien um and she had to take responsibility for missing court concert dates so they don't really talk about that in the movie so when Lorraine shoots herself in the bathroom Ike Jr. runs into the bathroom a few moments later you can see a shadow of a person on the door waving at the baby to come here oh wow I never noticed that I gotta look at that again so it was reported by Variety that Angela Bassett is set to receive a honorary Oscar at this year's Governor's Awards. So they did mention Angela Bassett has continued to deliver transcendent performances that set new standards in acting. So congratulations to her for that. It is well overdue. I definitely feel and always thought that she should have got the Oscar for this for this movie. She did such an amazing job. So many different movies that she has just done such an amazing job in. Most recently, Wakanda Forever, when she was nominated and they, they didn't give it to her. They actually gave it to Jamie Lee Curtis. So, you know, that was kind of like a... A moment for people because people definitely felt like Angela should have got it um but anywho just it's just good to to see that they're going to honor her in this way so congratulations I did want to mention that but I hope you all enjoy this episode next week we will be getting into the movie The Hen That Rocks the Cradle which is a it's a really good movie I actually really like it so Check it out if y'all have not watched it yet. And until next time, you all have a great rest of your week. God bless and vibe out.